Maybe one of these days we should do a lightning round. <laughs> Think we could do a lightning round? Uh, maybe if one of us prepared. Mm-hmm. I, I I have no prohibition against you preparing. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. But you're busy. You got stuff to do. I do. <laughs> you do. So many things to do. Yeah. Winter is coming. You got to winterproof your house. Yeah, I do. I just started with thermal underwear. It's that time of year now. Oh, nice. You're wearing slippers? Yeah. <laughs> I'm wrestling with um, DNS settings. Why? You're still having a denial, denial of service attacks nope, over nope, there? Nope, 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 nope. Finally, 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 hopefully by the time this comes out, I'll have a new podcast out, and I'm trying to set up DNS things. And I, I, I've never really understood how it works. It's sort of like doing Dan's MySQL installations. I'm just like following phonetically, and I can't find the IP address for the at record. So my brain's fried. Since we record this thing in, in uh, a strange time warp, do you want to share what that podcast is? Maybe it'll be out by the time this is published. It would be up to date if I could figure out the at record. <laughs> um, uh, a show that we did. Um, I don't know. Not long ago, uh, Max Tamkin and Alex Cox and I did a um, cult, cult classic called Top Scallops, where we watched Top Chef, and then we uh, talked about it. And unfortunately, it was a terrible season, but but we really liked doing the show, and we liked each other. So we have a new show we've been recording that should launch soon. We might have to cut this out, <laughs> called Do By Friday. And each week, one of us challenges uh, the other two. We all three have to do some kind of challenge. And then we talk about it. What kind of challenge? It could be anything. Um, the first first uh, episode is you have to throw something away. Uh, I don't give it all away, but it's challenges involving media. It involves, because Max is really busy fretting about the election right now, so he's kind of at sixes and sevens. You have to give him really easy things. But, um, you know, it could be stuff like you have to find the weirdest thing that you could send somebody for $20 from Amazon. Um, you got to read this uh, graphic novel. Uh, this week, I'm supposed to play that really weird video game where you play chess wrong. And then we talk about it. It's kind of an excuse to just talk to each other. But you know how it is. You need, you need a tent pole. you got to have some kind of a conceit. That sounds fun. Yeah, thank you. Well, I don't know. It sounds fun doing the things. I don't know about listening to people talk about having done the things, but I would like to play that weird chess game. I would like to find a weird thing on Amazon for 20 bucks. Oh my God! Well, you should. You should. Well, when you get your house, so I want to prove you should guest on the show. <laughs> We'd love to have you. They're really fun. They're a very fun group. They work. They work very hard. The Cards Against Humanity people. They work very hard. So yeah, no, it's it's fun. Um, you know, one week we uh, you had to take a bath was a challenge. <laughs> Just that week, whether you need it or not. <laughs> <Whether you> need- <laughs> my grandmother used to say that. Take a bath every week, whether you need it or not. Mm-hmm. I'm having low energy. i got to be honest with you, John. I'm, I'm feeling kind of low energy. Can you get a bath every week? If you mm. don't know what it's for, they will. <laughs> that was Ben Franklin <laughs> or Mark Twain. Should we start the show? Sure. We don't have any follow-up this week, huh? Well, you know, we. I'm trying to think. I was trying to cast about for follow-up. Um, uh, I guess one thing we should mention here, was this was this follow-up from a, a helpful listener? Uh, oh, the Millennium Actress thing. Yeah, I wondered where that went. Yeah, we were talking about having people watch Millennium Actress because it's a really good movie and it was free with terrible ads on YouTube from 
Paramount for some time, but then Paramount took it away, and nobody knows why. And people were sad, and all our links to the episode or to the movie broke. And then a listener had a suggestion, which uh, is a good idea. If you go to your local library, that big building that somehow magically gets paid for that lets you take books out for right. free, as long I've as you seen bring them that. Back. I've seen that building. Yeah. Right. Sometimes, depending on your library. They have movies, and sometimes they have Millennium Actress probably on DVD. So, uh, if you want to watch this movie and can't figure out, you can't find anywhere to buy it because I think it's out of print, and I don't even know if a, a Region 1 Blu-ray was ever made, and you don't want to try to find it illegally, and you can't watch it on YouTube, go to your local library and ask them. And if they don't have it, they might be able to get it because that's a thing that librarians know how to do. That's a fantastic idea. I will put uh, a link here in notes. I'm a big fan of a website called WorldCat. I don't know how you describe it. It's a front end to... Front end? Is that the word for it? It's an interface to many, many, many library systems. And I've been They're using... They're so small. They're so small. So small. Even even the rain. Such small hands. <laughs> uh, you go to worldcat.org and you can get an account there. And chances are, if you, especially if you live in a, a okay-sized city, you'll have a system that will work with this. So essentially, you just go to WorldCat and search for anything. And it'll find it at your library or at other libraries you can get it from. And I am indeed seeing Millennium Actress equals Senen Joyu, something like that, uh, available on DVD. It's in the Japanese language, and it's available right here in San Francisco. So that, that's a good way to go. Did you ever finish watching that? I forget. Nope. Nope. No, seriously, did you ever finish watching it? No, I never. I never did. I never did because I'm trying to watch it. You know, I, you have so many rules and so many admonitions. <laughs> watching whole movies, it's so burdensome. I don't know how you deal with it. But you want me to watch it in the Japanese, so it's reading. It's I got to do it's reading. Not so, it's not so bad. I, yeah. I believe you. Can oh, do you it. know what? I'll watch it. I'll watch it tonight. No, you won't. No, I know what I'm not going to be watching tonight. <sighs> For the end. All right, we can't talk about it on the show. I can't get in a public we, argument we about this. We can't talk about it at the end because then we can say, okay, now we're going to talk about this. And uh, if you don't want to hear about it, stop. This is the last thing we'll talk about. But we can't talk about it at the beginning. Do you have thoughts about it? Sure. Every, why not? Everyone has thoughts about it. Oh, I got thoughts. Yeah. So I made we'll it legitimately that. made it halfway through, and I had to turn it off. I never do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How can you tell if something has gone wrong? Mm. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, pee pee pants. So anyway, um, you go to WorldCat, and I'll try to remember to put that into show notes. What else did we have for follow-up? Oh, man, you found that tweet the guy sent. What tweet? Uh, tweet from user Nemo. This does not ring a bell. Yeah, well, you favored it like two minutes ago. Oh. At Syracusa. That's you. I love reconcilable differences. Please ask Hot Dogs Ladies more piercing questions like you did on the sports episode. If I was going to reply, I would have said that you don't like to be pierced. I don't, so I don't, I don't like... It's one of your hang-ups. I have so many problems. Do you have any idea how vulnerable I am as a person? I, I've got, I got some idea. <laughs> you got some... I got a, I've got a notion. I'm going to get your wife on. We'll really find out. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, you, could, you could pierce me a little bit. I don't mind being pierced a little bit. I don't mind being, I don't mean, I'll be, I'll be, cajoled, I'll be cajoled a little bit. I'll be provoked a little bit, you know? Sometimes Roderick provokes me a little bit and I'll say something. You see, you've heard that, right? Very occasionally. Yeah. Well. Very, very occasionally. I'll, I'll, he shouldn't have said the, the word homework is all I'm saying. Yeah. Yes, yes. Speaking of this interaction, though, this is a thing I do on Twitter and I think other people do it too, but 
it's worth talking about. So a lot of tweets, you know, ad mentions from people. Sometimes they are, uh, they're nice. They're trying to say something about like, I like this episode you did. I like this podcast. I'm just mentioning us in passing. Some of my favorite podcasts are, and then the ad mentioned, blah, blah, you know. And when I see them go by, you know, it's nice. You feel good. You see that, see that stuff go by. Absolutely. But it's just impossible, and especially for me specifically, but in general also impossible, to reply to all of them in a constructive way. Because it first, the volume can be high and, they, and they're bursty. You know, like when a new episode comes out or when, you know, like it's not, they're not spread out evenly. So you would spend a lot of time writing things. And second, specifically for me, I'm not good at thinking of something to say that doesn't seem like a cliche and insincere because I'm so cynical at heart that it's difficult for me to to write something that seems remotely sincere to myself as just to, to a reflection to say, like, what can you type to say, essentially, thank you for saying something nice, it made me feel good, you know, whatever. Uh, it's, and almost anything you can write will be a disappointment. And finally, and getting even more cynically, I don't have time to get into back-and-forth exchanges with 17 people. Mm-hmm. Not because they're bad people, not because I'm a bad person, but, like, literally, I will spend all day just going back-and-forth to all the people who are willing... If every, if every person is willing to have... A two-tweet exchange with me, that adds up fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. But I do want to communicate that I have seen your tweet and that I appreciate your tweet. And so a couple of years ago, I started favoriting, what are they called now? They call it likes now? I don't know what the hell they call it now. Starring, yeah. whatever, favoriting any tweet that mentions me that says something nice. And what I'm trying to communicate with that, I have no idea if I'm succeeding. What I'm trying to communicate with is, I saw your tweet. And I appreciate your tweet. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing. And that's why I fave, you know, if you look at what my favorites are, I fave them for two reasons. Well, three reasons. One, actually, I think I think it's a clever tweet. That's rare. <laughs> two, you said something nice, and I'm trying to communicate to you that I saw it. Like, that's what I'm trying, because it is, it is wordless. It is just like metadata saying, I saw it, and I appreciate it, so I fave it. And three, faving for bookmarking. Like, I think I might reference this tweet on a podcast in the future, and I'm never, there's no way I'm going to remember it unless I fave it. Because then I can just go back to my favorites and scroll and find it. Oh, that's and those interesting. those three reasons are very different from each other. So you may say, why is this faved? Is, is this a tweet that John agrees with or whatever? It's like sometimes I'm just bookmarking it. And I, I have to use the same feature for all of them. And so anyway, there, there's that. What, what do you do when you see tweets like that? Do you reflexively fave them for the same reason? Or do you write replies? Or do you just read them and smile and move on? Uh, good question. And I have to say, I, I've noticed your pattern of doing that because frequently when someone's nice enough to say something like that, um, you know, it'll show up in my, whatever they call it, mentions because you favorited something I was mentioned in, I guess. And so I, if I, if I hadn't already, I frequently will go in and favor too because I feel the same way. I, I think fave as hat tip, you know what I mean? Like, you know, thank you, ma'am kind of thing or like, you know, a thumbs up. Yeah, I do that. I don't. I, a lot of times when I fave something, it means yay you. Um, you know, and which is hard. So, like, if somebody says something that's really sad, you know, you put a heart on it, it seems kind of weird. That's been discussed at length. But, um, yeah, I think I use it. I mean, this sounds, again, this sounds awful, but if it's folks that I don't know personally or don't know from Twitter, if it's somebody who's just saying something nice and I'm not familiar with them, um, 
if I have anything, I, I will, I think, fairly often, you'd have to go search to find out. I think I, I will say thanks, or I'll say, you get me, or I will send a uh, Parks and Rec uh, GIF. But um, I've never used it as bookmarking. I think of all the things you just described, bookmarking has got to be the most confusing use looking at it as a stranger. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how everybody else experiences Twitter. Because I've always used a third-party client, and because so few people do use third-party clients, I have no idea the visibility of my activities. Like, do when I fave someone's tweet, do they even notice? The only reason I notice when other people fave my tweets is because I visit favestar.fm, which is an ancient website used mm-hmm. by people who use third-party Twitter clients. I'm assuming the modern first-party Twitter client has some interface to faving, or... I, I have no idea how this surfaces. So that's the other, you know, the, the unknown is like, I'm faving these things. Is anyone even noticing? Like, they would notice if I replied, I'm assuming. But if I don't reply, do they notice my faves? Or is it only people who go to, you know, fave tracking websites? Or does the client tell them? And same yeah. thing with bookmarks. Do they see, if I just fave something so I can remember it later, do other people see things that I faved? Does that show up anywhere in their client? Yeah, it does. I I think that mentions is where people spend. I'm guessing people spend a fair amount of time. I know it's where I go. Um, well, this is really it's very complicated to answer because there's so many sort of multivariate things involved here, and just so just cards on the table. I I mainly use the Twitter client on iOS. I use Tweetbot to look at rec diffs and to look at Roderick on the line, but for my own, you know, personal ego surfing ways, I've, I've come to like the Twitter client. Okay. I, and I think that is probably what most people use, notwithstanding our, you know, nerd friends, but it's very, it, it is what you're describing is very confusing and very, it's not as bad as Facebook in terms of opacity, but it, when you take into consideration I mean, for people who have like way more followers than us, it's got to be really crazy. You ever seen those like little vines of what it looks like to get responses as whatever Drake is? Like you see suddenly all these, ah, it's like it's just flying by. I've seen that in real time during WWDC keynotes when I turn on the streaming, the, the streaming client thing. Like the Twitter, if it has two modes, it can either periodically check certain tweets or it can like stream it in real time. Right. And I remember I turned on streaming. I forget which keynote it was. It might have been the one with the new file says No, I think it was the Swift keynote. Swift was was introduced, right? And it was literally flying past my screen too fast to read anything. Just and then just just like you just gotta turn it off and try to catch up later if you can. Man, that's not your style. You're a completist. You want to know where you left off. Completionist. Yeah, you're complete, complete, completer. Yeah. Um. So that it's confusing. So, but taking into all these things into account, like just taking like two garden variety Twitter users. On the one hand, you've got like quality filter, which I'm given to believe everybody has now. Um, There's a quality filter issue. So for example, when I'm in status board, looking at my status board things, I see the total like (laughs) raw sewage. I see the total raw feed of what I would be seeing on all of my accounts that I'm logged into, which is always really interesting. It's actually not not too bad. I'm very, very fortunate. But I sometimes will see stuff I, I sort of missed there before. Wait a second. You look at Twitter through Status Board, the panic application? Well, you know, I go there for that thing that we do. And right. I've, I've, I haven't done a lot with Status Board because I ain't no JSON jockey. But one mm-hmm. of the things I did was I just, just you know, just for fun, I threw up the little uh, widget with uh, with accounts in it. And so I just happened to see it whenever I oh, go look just, at it. it just counts. You don't actually read tweets. It's just numbers. No, no, but I see it. I see the most recent responses on all of my accounts. Not, not for any particular reason. 
This is a built-in thing. I should try it. I should make a new status board. They have built-in thing for showing Twitter info. Yeah, yeah. And you can also say, like, do you want to see, like, you can pick what kinds of things you want to see. That's such a clever app. Um, so it's confusing also. It's like quality filter can go into it. Now, for me, I also did something, and I, f- I end up feeling bad that I did this because I don't think it had much of an effect, but it had tons of blowback unintentionally, which is I got on the block everywhere. I signed up for block everywhere. And I said, block, I just I kind of ham-fistedly, I said block accounts with fewer than N followers or something like that. Because I have to tell you that, especially when it comes to boobs and butts and all the kind of nuisance stuff, I don't want to see. I do not want to see vulvas on my screen. They have now gone to full-on vulvas. I don't know how Twitter is missing this. I'm no Perl expert, but I think I have demonstrated that doing a basic Google search, you can instantly find thousands of these accounts very quickly. So I've done things like that. And of course, there's the nuisance sort of sock puppet accounts. And I don't get a lot of that either. But without thinking about a whole lot, because, and this sounds, sounds so privileged, but it's like I figure, well, gosh, if you've got less than 10 followers, like how long have you been on Twitter? How much are you using Twitter? But I still frequently will see, you've seen this, right? You've seen people say, hey, uh, I like the show. Can you ask Merlin to unblock me? And I'm like, what? Block you? I don't block many people. But then there's that. And then there's the dirty little secret, which that I, I would be uncomfortable telling you the orders of magnitude of people, topics, and stuff that I have muted. <sighs> like a lot, a lot, a lot. So I don't see that stuff until it shows up someplace else. I'm, I'm not putting this well. I guess what I'm, all I'm trying to say is that I think even if you're, if you're not as dumb as I am about all these different filters and things, it is very confusing. And it's hard to know where your stuff will show up and to whom. Yeah, I don't even know how people manage Twitter with the 17 different non-deterministic feeds. Because my, as discussed in the past on other podcasts, my interface to Twitter is one continuous chronologically ordered stream of things. Right. It's just a big list that I scroll through from top to bottom. The top is, is now the the bottom is the past and that's it one list and you know the only thing that is separate are direct messages which is now weird and like like iMessage where they have longer message links and whatever so direct messages are the separate incredibly dangerous terrifying poorly supported messaging application off to the side but then twitter is just one big long list and that is a comfortable interface to me for all the stuff and it's so far still deterministic. It's not as if I wonder, like every time I go to the Twitter website, I'm like, how do they decide what shows on this page? Like, it's just, it's just a mess of them trying to determine like relevant or interesting tweets from people that I follow or things that I've said just in some crazy jumble. I'm like, it's just my I, I eyes glaze over. I just stop looking at it. I'm like, whatever. I don't want to see that. I don't care what it is. Yeah. Go away. Or you get, I really, I really hate when I get caught up. And somebody says something controversial or worse sometimes, something really silly. And then they they put like several people's handles in there. Gruber Syracuse, and they put all these names in there. Like it's just this shotgun of like, hey, everybody look at this thing I had to say, which is, you know, silly. But then for the rest of the day, I'm looking at everybody's well actuallys about what that person said. And I wish there was some way to like you know, exit pursued by a bear, like, get me out of this thread. I don't want to be involved in this. <laughs> Without replying in all caps, unsubscribe. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> please do not respond. Respond all. And just, please don't do that. So that's that's weird. But, you know, I, I mean, you know, you, ha- you have like 20x, 30x more followers than I do. So you have a, a, a higher 
you have you have many more problems than I do, but but I, I see all these same phenomena that you're describing. Well, I want a chance to respond to way, that, but yes, way yes. Less of it. I, I know you're going to say that you are on the suggested user list, and they're all bots or people who don't use Twitter anymore. But still, I feel like you yeah. have a larger volume. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think I probably have. What do you have? Like sixty thousand, something like that. Yeah, I think that's probably way closer to where I actually should be maybe and i can tell you because when i fell off the please go follow this dingling list it's frozen permanently at the number that it's at right now it doesn't go up or down all that much i don't pay that much attention to it i mean i'd notice it if it dropped a thousand but like i don't notice it because i i don't really think about that but i see all these things like being yeah. mentioned in the thing and just all the other stuff and i lo- i i feel like the main reason that shows that uh, that you have more problems than i is that i see far fewer boobs and butts than you do like really? I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I yeah, do yeah. see it occasionally, but nowhere near the amount you're complaining about. Like it, it is incredibly rare with me. You'll see it once in a while. You block them, they go away, but it's like once a month. And it sounds like you're getting it way more than that. That is really surprising to me because given what you can feel free to say otherwise, but I feel it's it's a near certainty that there's a high level of if not out if not like machine automation there's a which i think it's probably what it is then there is a whole lot of like farms where people are just copying and pasting the same thing in like grab from this pool of pictures put this boober butt as the pinned image yeah, no, say something I know about, what you're talking about no no i know i know it's just that the reason i'm saying that is that i my gut would be that everybody's getting sprayed with that fire hose cuz women women get it men get it everybody gets it it seems but, you know, but again, with Fabstar, I don't look at Fabstar like I used to, but I do notice, like, I, I accidentally had my second most popular tweet of all time, which was a, a really dumb, a really, really dumb joke that got a lot of faves. And I was like, ugh, I went and looked. And then I saw a bunch of stuff that had been pretty popular in the past. It was just, like, solid rows of blondes. Like, it was like, oh, <laughs> man, that's so gross. And I catch them every time. But, but, I mean, it's like it's like having a beach house and trying to keep the roaches out. You know, I'm just... It seems silly to try and catch up, but anyway, I don't know what's causing you to get that because again, I'm not, I'm not getting it. Like I see it every once in a while, but it's, I don't have the quality filter on either. I don't even have it on. Maybe that's the. Are secret. you kidding? I don't have it on. Shields are down. Right, and the reason I didn't turn it on is because I became verified, which I wanted to to be, and I got the little check mark, and now I had the option for the quality filter. This is before it was open to everybody, and what I thought to myself was, look. I don't have any real quality problems right now, and I'm afraid if I turn it on, I will not see a tweet that I would want to see. So until, like, I, I want to keep it in my back pocket. Like, if, if Twitter ever becomes unbearable for me, I will turn it on. And so I haven't turned it on because I don't, I don't have the problems with the boobs and butts. I don't have the problem with the harassment. that The worst it's ever been to me, which is, like, you know, not bad at all in the grand scheme of things, was at one point... I don't remember what it was. It was some political thing a year or so ago. I got picked up by some right-wing website, and they wrote a story on it on their front page and put my tweet on it, and I had maybe three months of being yelled at by random people, but none of those people followed me. And if they were obnoxious, I just blocked them, and it was just like, all right, you've signed up for three months of mild ambient harassment, which is... There's nothing compared to from like ten, but but it's people get so, and I I, I I'm not trying to dis- dismiss this as as not a problem, especially uh, don't want to get into it. But I I, I I look, I see in Slack, I see the extreme level of agita, especially among male friends of mine, about something that somebody with a ten follower sock puppet account said to them, and I'm like, oh my god, that's you're like that's like yelling at a pro wrestler on TV. Like just ignore it, like just ignore it and move on. Yeah, I, just, I mean, the, the volume is what makes a difference. Like me having having yeah. a couple months of just like a, a couple of tweets a day—that's nothing. You just you move on. But if it was if it was you know 
a couple of tweets every three minutes, it destroys your ability to, to read Abs- Twitter. Ab- so. Absolutely. Well, and you know what else is interesting in this horrible, this horrible fraught political season where I find myself like kind of compulsively looking at things I have spent years making myself not look at and I'll go and search on the Republican candidate and just, boy, his fans are very, very vocal and it's very, very ugly. And I feel like I've opened a tent flap at a camp that I don't really want to be at. When you look in there, you're like, wow. And it, it just gets crazier. I'm not even talking about like, I have a strong opinion about the role of women in America. I'm talking about like, oh, well, like that Alex Jones guy kind of stuff, like crazy conspiracy yeah, yeah, theories, the conspiracy ugly, stuff. ugly. And those people are going to be noisy on Twitter. And there's lots of like, I, I, I don't seek that out on Twitter at all. The, the, but I do the instinct that's making you look into that. My manifestation of that is, I mean, to give an example, like after the debates, the televised debates, which I watched, what I will usually do is instead of keeping it on whatever channel I was watching it to hear the talking heads talk about the debates i will intentionally go to fox news to basically say worst case scenario what is fox news saying about the debate because i want to see like how the other half lives right i want to see how it is being presented to the people who are not me but that is a far cry from finding the most extreme fringe people on twitter and looking at what they're saying because that's you know i i don't I don't know how representative that Twitter thing is, but I know a lot of people watch Fox News, Fox News. But it's the same instinct to say, like, I don't want to just see all the things that me and the people who agree with me are saying. I want to see, you know, the yeah. No, I, I, I totally, I, I totally agree. And I mean, there's that phrase that now seems really quaint: the loyal opposition. The the idea that, like, well, what is the smartest thing? I don't know. I think this is just a good idea in general. What's the there's something that I believe in, or something I think, or something that seems true to me. Like, what is the smartest, the smartest person who believes not what I believe? What is the, what does the smartest person have to say about this? That's not what I'm going to Fox News. Unfortunately, I don't know where to find that anymore. You're saying like, how bad is the dumpster fire? What what I'm going to say is, how is this being spun to people who are predisposed to Hmm, not agree? In the same way that you wouldn't go to like a, you know, a friendly outlet and say, how is this being spun? Like, it's like going to an Apple fan website to read about Apple's announcement. They're, they are going, and, and you know, it depends on the website. Some of them are, are fairly straight up the middle, but other ones are like, no matter what Apple does, we're going to say they're wonderful. And so if you want to see it, the, the far opposite would be to go to like an Apple haters website. And then in the middle are all the websites that are just trying to analyze it, honestly. And it's difficult to find, like, I know what you're saying, like, find the smartest person on the opposition and see what they have to say. I don't know where those people are anymore. <laughs> I don't, I honestly don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. It's really confounding. And then there's the thing that happens where every Tuesday or so, I get a new public beta. Uh, it's dumb, but like I, I, you know, you get a new public beta of iOS 10. And if, if that's, you know, the, the cycle. And I don't know why I keep doing this, you know, that definition of insanity. I, I go and I do a search on iOS 10 public beta 4 or whatever. And it's, it's so amazing. Of course, the entire top of the page is all filled up with all these search returns from all these Mac this and Mac that sites. And you go there, and it's, it's almost exactly the same thing as they, has, they have published with every single other release, where it says, this is, you know, um, 10.1 is going to be the one that includes portrait mode and beep ba doop ba doop like, there's, But there's no, I don't feel like always constantly going and logging in and two-factoring to get into my account to see what the release notes are. I'm hoping somebody, maybe a journalist, 
even a reporter, perhaps even the lowly blogger, somebody could actually go and illuminate in big bullets, like what are the three, three to five big changes to look for here? Did they fix the spam blocking problem yet? I don't know. It's not there. It's just, it's... So that shows you're not, like, I've, I I used to do things like that, but now I use Twitter for that. I feel like you're not curating your, your Twitter follow people to the point where, because I, I the, the one of the main functions for Twitter for me is I follow, I try to follow the right set of people so that I don't have to essentially check websites anymore. First, it was checking websites. Then there was NetNewsWire. Today, for me, there's Twitter where other people check websites and post snarky asides about them from which I can divine what they read on a website. (laughs) Like It's several degrees removed, but if you get the right set of people that you're following and you read what they tweet, that's how I, I find myself. Like That's my... That's my entry point to everything, and you will pursue it through to a website where you where and you will read an article or whatever. But it is much more sort of the, you know the, the old idea of a social network where it's like, oh, you won't have to seek things out. You'll have a network of people who are interested in similar things, and you will hear about you know sort of word of mouth in the internet, and that will be enough to make sure you fun- you get all the important things. And on Twitter, for the most part, that works for me by me choosing who I follow and trying to i made a conscious effort i'm not just like oh i'll just follow my friends and then some friends of my friends like i'm making a conscious effort to i'm not gonna say diversify because that's not really what i'm doing there but like to find do i have someone who's always going to tell me about cpu news somebody who's always going to tell me about uh you know political issues someone's always going to tell me about cute dogs right Mm -hmm. like just i need to have people in each of these categories and if I start to get too many cute dog people, I will drop a few of them and then use those slots for somebody else because I have to keep the volume down as well. Boy, that's you work so hard at these things. Um, okay, I, I have a very specific question. I want you to follow, if you can, if you are willing to, I want you to follow uh, the spirit of the question. Setting aside, unless you really feel like you can't, setting aside the things most of us agree on, I'm making Twitter a less hostile place. Um if you could if you could wave your magic wand and have Twitter do or be one thing differently for purely selfish reasons on your own, don't twist it into being the good cop. What do you really wish would happen on Twitter at a system level that would make it more fun, more engaging, more useful for you? Is there anything where you would go like, this is a thing that I really wish they would change or fix? This is a feature I wish they had. I wish search was different. Is there anything like that that you wish really wish Twitter would do differently that isn't about getting rid of abuse? Yeah, go back to having third-party clients be supported because there are so many Twitter features that I can't use. I don't see polls. I can't participate in them at all. All these features that they add that are only visible in the first-party client, I I want to go back to a world where third-party clients are the best clients unconditionally, whereas now they're only the best in some respects, but in other respects, mm-hmm. it, I just don't see the, the features that other people see. They really are second-class citizens, aren't they? Yeah. And like, and the whole the whole idea that like if you are if you make a third party client, that there's a cap to your success because of the tokens and all that other crap. Like, I just hate that whole that whole aspect of their ecosystem. Especially given, especially given how how clear it seems, at least to me and my friends. I mean, I, I feel like I don't. Almost everybody I know, I believe, would agree with this statement. Many of the people who made Twitter a fun thing, I think, would agree with this statement that Twitter, if Twitter was just a thing that you use with text messages, you wouldn't have stuck with it. It really took third-party stuff. It took Twitterific to make Twitter into something somebody really wanted to use. It's sort of like an Adobe or a Quark situation where you're like, you know, dance with the one who brung you. 
and it was it was a vibrant app development community like it wasn't like it was starving yeah. where there's like one person made one neat app and that was it you'd see new ones all the time people had all sorts of new ideas like it was it's just such a shame to kill that most companies would kill would, would love to have people climbing all over themselves to make the best client for their service and twitter had that and threw it away because they wanted to control it and then they field a series of what I think are crappy clients and just are not doing a good job. And like, I don't know. Anyway, I don't have any hopes of that being reversed, but setting aside all of the abuse and so on and so forth things, that's the one thing that I would want. At some point, I, I don't, I don't know if this was ever an overt, like formal thing in, internally or even especially externally, but it really feels like at one point, a, a turn, a corner was turned. A turner was corned. A corner was turned at Twitter, and it seems like within some period of time, it was decided that Twitter was an ephemeral service where you check in on what's happening right now. Which is, you know, I don't have a problem with that as an idea. I could see why they want to keep things fresh, but, um, you know, I, I really, I wish there were more ways to get to. I wish search was better. I wish search was better. Um, I mean, it's okay right now, but it's a little bit like reading a Google Hacks book to be any good at finding stuff. I can't find my own stuff sometimes. Yeah, and I, 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 think, I don't think search needs to be... I know what you're getting at, that like if you saw a tweet, it's impossible to find that you saw it and the, the search is annoying and you could try to go through Google to get it or whatever. But I don't have much of a problem with them deciding it's a thing you dip into and out of. I think where they're falling down is, and many of these things are, is like they have so little faith in the basic mental and mechanical model of a reverse chronological timeline. It's not saying that people are going to be completionists and it's not mm-hmm. saying that has to be your only interface, but it's like the idea that if you decide I'm going to sit down and watch a TV show and it's like some reality show and my friends and I are going to snark about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're or if it's a sports game or whatever. Right. You you don't you don't care what happened to Twitter on Twitter early in the day right now. You don't care what's gonna care what's gonna happen later. You just want to sit down and do this thing and or or maybe you just saw something that you know a bunch of friends saw. During that period of time when you're dipping in, the idea of it being a time ordered sequence of things that go one after the other is simple and easy to understand and follow. Tweet, reply, reply, tweet, reply, reply. You should you should be able to almost treat it like a DVR, where like I'm not saying you should make this a functionality, but it should be something where like it's that's clear enough that if you started watching the keynote right now and hit the button at the right time, you could see what people were saying at that time. It should be that clear. Uh, but I'm talking about when you're doing it in real time. You are dipping into Twitter because you are having this experience at the same time as other people, the people that you follow, the people you're interested, and in, you all want to converse about it during that time. Mm-hmm. During that time, I feel like a reverse chronological ordered list is so much better than trying to surface the most relevant ones or the most popular one or separating out when people replied directly to you versus when they just mentioned you versus tweets from your follow. Like that just adds confusion and and it's just just a mess, right? If you want to fire up Twitter and say, what happened on Twitter today that I missed? By all means, have some kind of algorithm things that tries to surface things. Um, but I, it's just, I, I know these these chronological sequences do exist in the clients, but so many people, their interface to Twitter is this confusing jumble of what they think is their stream, but also their mentions, but also their top tweets. And it's just like, 
I think it's one of the things that keeps people away is the is sort of not being able to see everything that is happening during a real time dip into Twitter. You know, like like because if you're like, oh, we don't want to overwhelm them. It's no one's going to go through all those tweets. We need to do something algorithmic or or categorically to separate out things uh, that they're interested in. We can't have it together. And I feel like there's not enough emphasis on the simple timeline interface that would go a long way towards focusing on what twitter is actually good at and like you said all right if you weren't there but want to see what people were saying during the debate that is even more impossible because it's not like you can like you're not going to sit there and flick scroll your way back to when the debate was and try to make heads or tails of it you just can't um and the odds of you getting back that far and seeing something because then you would have to try to figure out how far do i scroll back in mentions versus how far do i scroll back in my regular feed versus how far do i scroll back in like my lists or the the favorites of people like it's there's no way to like reassemble that jigsaw puzzle and then the final bit is most casual users have no idea how to thread things nor do they know how to link to a thread or how threads work on Twitter, mm-hmm. like that is all just incredibly obscure. And sort I, of- I, I love that functionality and have gotten pretty dogged about using it. I've noticed people like, I want to say Paul Haddad have adopted something similar. Todd does this. I love the way Todd does that, where Todd will say, here's the runtime, you know, the graph of runtimes for the talk show. And then a few months later, he updates it and he responds to that tweet. I love that. I wish more people would do that. And he does Storify, which you have to go to a third-party side to say, hey, if there's a bunch of... I know Twitter has moments now and they're trying right, to right. things together, but it's just, it's just such an incredible hodgepodge that no person can be expected to deal with. And even people who do understand it, I find it to be a hassle to create those threads by replying to myself and deleting the mention and keeping track of things in favorites and reassembling them on a third-party site to Storify. Like, it's too hard to do the things that regular people want to do and seeing people struggle like so often someone will say check out this thread and it's not a thread and then i have to go through that person's timeline yeah and then like try to reassemble the thread myself well they don't they don't have a near uh boolean Right. I mean, so like if you go and so sometimes remember we talked about how in the back of the day, you'd find something on Yahoo, at least I said, I would find things on Yahoo by finding something similar to what I wanted, and then would look around that thing. And sometimes I'll remember something somebody said, I'm trying to find something someone said somewhere, whether that's me or somebody else, and I can get close to it. It's sort of this Slack is actually way better at this, I think. But like with Twitter, if you find the thing that you're looking for, there's no near or around to like go now show me this like reveal in folder <laughs> or you yeah, know what i mean chron- reveal in time speaking what other tweets were going on around this time by people that i follow exactly because exactly. to do that you'd have to go totally into different context or open up a new browser window or scroll through it's just it well you'd have to just do that thing where you you do the endless scroll and it really feels like it's rolling its eyes and groaning at you when you get to the bottom of the page you're sitting there going vugada 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 and the relative date seven hours ago eight hours yeah. ago and then it changes to absolute and it's just it's you, so you turn away maddening. for a minute and you're back in your like old you know email threading problem like now oh no the things i selected are gone now and now you mm-hmm. start over there's not there's not that sense of place yeah yeah hmm could always go to app.net this episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by MailRoute. You can learn more about MailRoute right now by visiting MailRoute.net slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Hey, pop quiz, hotshot. Do you know who should handle your email security and delivery? I'll tell you who. People who do only that. And that is our friends at MailRoute. Look around you. All the big companies are bowing out of the email protection business because it's hard work. Postini went away. 
Now McAfee and MX Logic, hey, Google even came out and said that they want you to use a gateway service like MailRoutes so they don't have to filter your Google Apps mail. So who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust to do the job properly and still be around? Easy answer, MailRoute. Their team has been focused entirely on email security since 1997. MailRoute protects your email and hardware against spam, viruses, and other threats. And they deliver your mail even when your mail server cannot. There's no hardware or software to install. If you own your domain, that's all you need to use MailRoute. And their interface, it's easy to navigate. It's loaded with admin tools, including an API. It's all designed to make your life better. No spam, no viruses, no bounced mail. Whether you're a small home business or a huge ISP, you know, MailRoute handles customers of all sizes, and they provide the same level of outstanding tech support to everyone. MailRoute protects your email from spam and viruses and guarantees mail access during outages. That's all they do. That's the only thing they do. And they do it better than anybody else around, and they've been doing it longer. That's MailRoute. So stop spam today. Sign up for a 30-day trial at MailRoute.net slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. And because you're a listener of this program, you know what? You're going to get 10% off for the lifetime of your account. Many thanks to MailRoute for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Um, we had ideas for topics this week. I can't tell. Oh, have you been getting the uh, iCloud pop-ups again? No, mine are not back. And, and also uh, related to... Uh Apple ID login prompts with someone else's Apple ID that we talked about a couple yeah. shows back. A lot of people had ideas about that, and I don't have any proof that that's what's happening, but it sounds plausible. The idea is if you have a file that somebody else purchased mm-hmm. through the iTunes store, obviously it's not DRM encrypted, I'm assuming, because otherwise I wouldn't be able to play it. And it's got it's got metadata in it. Amazon does the same thing. It's got I think it's got metadata in it about where it came from. Right. So I think the person whose Apple ID popped up was one of the first people to send me some Lady Gaga songs. And I it's plausible that this person oh. purchased the Lady Gaga songs as unencrypted but nevertheless tagged with their Apple ID thing from the iTunes store and that those are still in my collection despite the fact that I bought those CDs and <laughs> and ripped them subsequently but it may be like you know with with the whole iTunes match and which one it uploaded first and everything who knows what's going on and then when restoring from a backup it may decide that it needs to authenticate with that Apple ID to let you play that song right and that's why you know what these dialogues are like they're disembodied you don't know what they're caused they're like the screen they're in front of means nothing it's just a white box comes up and then says oh please enter the apple id for blah 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 and if you're doing a restore and that's the first thing you see it might seem like they're asking you as if like to do the restore you have to sign in with an apple id that's not yours but it could just be triggered by whatever is doing the music thing getting to the music thing and being confused by that so that is the leading theory for that particular mystery I really like that theory. You just explained it in a way that I finally understand it. I'm not sure that was me, though, because this was before trying to do a restore. This was just trying to turn the thing on. Yeah, no, you have you have the, the other problem that other people are also corroborating. Like, hey, I got like a brand new iPhone out of the box, and I tried to put my stuff on it. And it's like, sorry, this is activation lock to Joe Schmo at Apple, you know, at, at iCloud.com. ICloud. You're like, who the hell is Joe Schmo at iCloud? This isn't even refurbished. It's like out of a box new. That sounds to me like some server-side mess-up where it's trying to communicate something to the server and the server is totally confused about what phone is talking to it and it just throws up a thing that says, oh, oh, that phone? Oh, that's totally activation locked to Joe Schmo. 
And that's not, there was nothing on you. This is my theory for this. There's nothing yeah. on your phone related to Joe Schmo. It is literally a, a blank canvas that came from the factory. It's because the server, when it's spoken to by this phone that somehow identifies itself, gets all confused and there's a bug. And it's like, oh, that one, that one's activation locked to Joe Schmo. And oh, it then, could be like, it could be confused about the UUID or whatever. Yeah, or some other, some other, it could just be a plain old crazy bug where like a reply that's meant to one for one request ends up going to a different one i don't know this is my this is my based on nothing theory of how this could happen <laughs> as someone who's written a lot of server-side software in his day and it has had bugs stuff like this can happen now i have no idea if this mechanism that i just described is even a real thing at all but yeah. the number of messages for, the number of messages from people who've said i didn't get my phone repaired it's not refurbished this was thing was new out of the box it had shrink wrap on it and yet it was activation log. And once it does that, then the phone is super convinced that you shouldn't be allowed to do it because it's a security thing of like, oh, you probably stole this phone, you know, and then you got to go back to the store. And they have to do their mumbo jumbo to get it unlocked. And yeah. And it had a, had a three of hearts that I'd signed inside of it. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> Stop putting cards on me. <laughs> putting things on our body. I found, <laughs> I found yet another, another Apollo Robbins video. It's really good. Interviewed on stage by a i want to say i think it's a, a, a neuropsychiatrist starts with a g i think i just saw that in insta paper 10 minutes ago oh yeah it's from i think it's from like 2013 i'm sure i got it from you tweeted it i'm sure and that's why it's in there i probably did oh okay yeah that makes sense but yeah but it's uh it was basically he talks about it's the first time i've ever, ever heard him talk about getting a very late in life diagnosis for adhd and it leads to a very interesting discussion uh of attention and I, th- I think you might enjoy this one because he does – he frames it as this is a, an effect I don't normally do on stage. But he does an amazing effect involving somebody closing their eyes and what he's able to sort of simulate for this person. It's really interesting. I can't get away from the magic stuff, John. I just – when I don't know what else to do, I either watch CGP Grey. I watch that nerd writer guy who wants to be, be CGP Grey or – I, nerd, I, I nerd writer guy? Who are you talking about? Nerd there? writer. This guy <laughs> – <laughs> Go check out Nerd Rider One. Is that, is that like Ghost Rider's uh, unpopular cousin? Oh, the <laughs> that's <a> for Cagemus. <laughs> um, Nerd Rider One, I think he is, and uh, boy, he puts out a very high volume of uh, CGP Grey esque videos about movies. It's somewhere in between CGP Grey and uh, nobody's gonna, nobody's going to be happy with this comparison. It's somewhere between Every Frame of Painting and CGP Grey. Um, and some of them are really quite good. And so, yeah, the, the magic. The magic. The effects. Did you, have you sorted the list? Is this, is this what you want to talk about? We got this little political thing that's your thing. It's not then... about politics. It's about John's rationality. All right. All right. Well, anyway, I think that, that seems like a small one. And considering how deep we are in, I think that's a good idea before we go on to baseball bat stuff. <sighs> my heart is broken. Broken my heart is. You know it was... Him, Fredo. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you had to catch a fish. I was trying to figure out how to how to change the uh, whatever that is, what the object of that is, and didn't work out. It's hard to quote. <laughs> hard to quote something while also referring to it. You knew it was him, so you knew it was him, but then you can't say Fredo at the end. It doesn't work. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. My heart was broken. You broke by my heart, Lucille. Um. This came up in the context of uh, a politics discussion. I do not think this needs to be a politics discussion. I think this is about rationality. Um, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, uh, I'm, I'm fine to have this not be about politics, but I need to explain what this is. This is a quote from um, 
a friend of ours on Slack um, talking about Glenn Beck. And he said, P.G. O'Rourke, our friend, we might as well say it was Glenn. Glenn said, P.G. O'Rourke said something similar a few months ago on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, quoting here, quoting P.G. O'Rourke, I am endorsing Hillary and all her lies and all her empty promises, O'Rourke continued. It's the second worst thing that can happen to this country, but she's way behind in second place. Here's the nut sentence. She's wrong about absolutely everything, but she's wrong within normal parameters, unquote. And, uh... I thought that was a very, very interesting, not because of the politics, because I just, I thought, wow, you know that old phrase, that, that's, that's not right, you know, it's, it's, it's wrong, it's so wrong, it's not even right. I was just thinking about that idea of what it means to be wrong within normal parameters, and it instantly made me think of you. It made me think of the discussions you've had about, like, how you can't even get into certain arguments with people because you don't share enough common ground on, like, how the universe operates. You'd have to have many, many, many arguments in order to get to where you could have even a normal argument. And I just wanted to toss that out to you. What do you think about the idea of being wrong within normal parameters? Is that an interesting idea to you? And have I stated what it means clearly enough? Yeah, I get the idea. And I know you don't want this to be connected to politics, but unfortunately, I think it, it is in this case. And I have several problems with this specific example. First, PGR work is a doof. I really, yeah, but, I, he's a super doof. I read mm. you know, the, the 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 place I find myself reading mostly uh, most of his stuff is that occasionally he writes for car magazines that I read, which I know is not his normal gig, but he is a doof. So whatever, fine. He's got his opinions, um, and the but this quote here, it's hard to tell because he's a doof whether <laughs> he is being knowingly and intentionally provocative slash entertaining slash glib or whether this is a true representation of what of his thought process i I don't think it is a true representation because i think he is smart enough that if he were to write with an eye towards figuring out the truth of his own head versus writing with an eye towards entertaining people who think the same thing you know anyway if he was honest about it, I think what he, like, there's no such thing as, like, wrong within normal parameters. Like, the closest you might be able to get to that is, uh, like, margins of error. Like, how far off of, like, there, there is there is a truth, and and then how close are you to truth? And if you're really far away, you're not, you're wrong, but not within normal parameters for this person. But, but even that's not the case here. This is a an attempt to try to rationalize i hope just externally not internally because this is a this is a terrible thought process to be internal but it makes people feel that externally like the candidate of quote unquote my party the party that i normally vote for is so terrible i find myself having to do you know because of our stupid terrible two-party system to avoid this terrible eventuality I must grit my teeth and vote for the other party that I normally don't vote for. And that is difficult because so much of my identity isn't tied up in being a Republican, not a Democrat. And I hate so many things that the Democrats stand for. But in this case, I feel like it's something that I have to do. But to not to make other people think that this is how I am rationalizing it in my head, I'm going to say that. Let me remind you that the Democrat is super terrible, and, but she is, and she's super wrong. 
but she's wrong in a more conventional way. She's wrong within normal parameters. It's not the wrongness within normal parameters that's making him vote this way. It's the terribleness of the Republican candidate. And phrasing it the other way, like, it's saying basically the same thing, but but putting putting the reverse, like, in this paragraph, we've got lies, empty promises, wrong about absolute everything, not about the candidate he's not voting for, but about the one he's going to grit his teeth and, and you know, she's way behind, like, he doesn't spend any time talking about how bad Trump is. He spends all this time talking about how bad Hillary is, but he's going to vote for anyway. Again, this is an excerpt. There may be other stuff in there, but like this, this is the this is a inaccurate evaluation of what must be the the reasonable thought process of someone faced with you know because he obviously agrees that Trump is terrible and he's going to vote for Clinton anyway, but he's he's still going to spend his time all his time slamming Clinton and trying to make up this silly wrong with the normal parameters. Wrong with the normal parameters is not a thing. I think. I think it is. This is just. I don't know. I, I, I think it's I think it's very I, I'm sorry that this became a PJ O'Rourke. I, I I'm talking about the concept. I know. Of, well like this this example of the concept is not a good one. And I, I and I think conceptually I would have to see an example of like when could this concept could this same phrase be applied in a different way in a broader context? And I'm not entirely sure that it can. Well, I mean I hadn't come up with an example, but like, you know, and I, I'm this is just off the top of my head. But, you know, we had a Gill- let's say you have a Gilligan's Island type situation or a lost type situation. And let's even say, let's say for the sake of argument that there's thirty people on a on a desert island and um and most people don't know that much about even the possible ways of trying to get off. Um, like, what are our options? Should we focus our attention on being noticed here? Should we focus our attention on survival? Should we focus our attention on trying to build a raft? Should we make a golf cart out of coconuts? The thing is, there might be lots of different ideas, but there might be two kind of ascendant points of view from charismatic people or, or the two people who seem like the best hope. Right. So like, I'm, I'm trying to think of who the Hillary in this is, but I'm, I'm trying to think of like somebody who says, look, here's what we need to do. We, we, um, and obviously owing to the fact that I don't know how to get off an island, this makes it extra tough. But let's say one person says we should spend a whole bunch of our remaining resources on trying to build a raft that will let, um, you know, four of our strongest people be able to make the journey to where near enough to the shipping lanes that they'll have a 40% of getting chance of getting discovered. Because I'm here to tell you, there's no way that we are ever going to be discovered on this island. And we are going to die here. And there's no way to, to sugarcoat that. We have to do something uh, fairly extreme and put all of our best efforts into this probably suicidal mission. Um, we're probably all going to die anyway. But this is the thing that we need to do if we want to have any chance at all of staying alive. And so far I haven't heard another plan. And then you got a guy over here who has made like a special headdress for himself and says that he has a way of talking to the monkey God in the sky. And if we all just agree to have fights with spears and throw all of our food in the ocean, the monkey God will come in and sweep us up into the air and we'll get 72 virgins and we'll get free cable TV. And, and so I could see somebody saying, somebody, let's say somebody there with a kid says, Jesus, I really don't like either one of these plans, but I don't know of a better way than option one. And even though I think that person is wrong, I think they're wrong within normal parameters. It's sort of like you and me going back and forth as we do twice a week about the concept of unique and very unique. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, isn't it possible that one person might have a, a non-optimal, maybe even terrible idea but it has some chance of being 
successful, even if it's a terrible idea, versus somebody who's – when you look at their – what they're planning with the monkey god, you can look at that you know, with some rationality and say, I just don't think the monkey god's going to save us. And even though I've always been you know, a fan of this guy's oil painting, I'm not going to follow him into the, onto the monkey stairs. That's a terrible but, example, but does that make any sense? So I think the the thing that I'm getting hung up on is the particular phrasing of this thought technology was wrong with normal parameters. It it it's presupposes that you that you know the raft guy is wrong, right? The monkey you're trying to come up with something ridiculous for the monkey god guy, and you're like, well, I'm pretty sure that one's wrong, right? But the raft thing you don't know, like it, you know, they're both wrong, but one is wrong with normal parameters. You don't know that the raft guy is wrong like you it just doesn't seem right to you right so i don't so i don't think i don't think it's a useful thought technology i don't think it's a way to because you have to to use this thought technology you have to have already determined that there are multiple options all of which you believe are wrong and you don't think about why you think they're wrong you immediately jump to well they're all wrong but this one is wrong within normal parameters and which is a way i think of avoiding thinking about well is it really wrong then or are you just trying to express like you have less certainty about this one than another one. Like that's that's I I I don't like this as a thought technology with this particular wording. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think I understand better. I guess I just I feel like there's something that um, maybe maybe because this is a topic that uh, I mean I know we we share an interest I think in saying things like ap- apocalyptic fiction. Um, I think you like time travel stuff. I know I do, but I'm very interested in a sci-fi fantasy idea of, or, you know, you know what, look at the Martian or look at Apollo 13, right? Um, like you think about that point when Mark is doing all the math and finally gets to the point where he's like, well, you know, I got to do this because, you know, if this happens, I'll run out of oxygen. I'm probably going to run out of oxygen. If this will probably happen, I'm going to run out of food. This will happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like part of the thrill of that, I mean, whether or not you like the book and the movie, part of the thrill of that is him making this incredibly game attempt at something that probably is not only impossible, but nobody will, it may be years before people, it may be four years before, before people discover how he failed. And but he has to go make a go of it anyway. Or again, like in Apollo, in Apollo thirteen, where by the end you're just tearing your hair out because we watched it with my daughter, and it was we know how it turns out, and she's still like, I, "This is like I, this is really tense." So I'm just trying to think of situations like that, or in the case of the TV show we might talk about in a little while, where like the, you're in a situation where you have very limited options. I'm trying to get away from your your friend PJ O'Rourke here and just say, you don't think it's interesting as an idea to say, can we differentiate the worst among or the best among horrible options and decide which one is best to do with some rationality. Yeah. But I don't think there's any specific, like, again, different thought technology other than think carefully about all the options presented for you and weigh them, you know, like it's anything that starts. I don't, I don't like the idea of starting with the, the, the thing that all of them are wrong. But, but I think what mostly what you're getting at with that is, that none of them feels good, like that they all have some obvious downside or seem like hard work or have the potential that you're in a bad situation or that have the potential for failure. And so you want to reframe it as picking the least bad one or like you wrote here, the second worst choice or whatever. But really, I think that is just a different framing of the notion that you're in a bad situation and anything you do seems to have obvious parts of it that make you feel bad about it. 
like mm-hmm. that, that it's going to be a bad time for you no matter which one and that's all you're saying like oh these are all bad or wrong choices or picking the second worst because there's no there's no winner there's no thing in there that's like if i do this which also seems reasonable nothing bad will happen there are none of those and that mostly just means you're in a bad situation like the plane is going down one of the engines has gone out you're stranded on mars like you're already in a situation that is bad and what you're really trying to do is you know whatever stay alive solve a problem uh and you know in the video game parlance like you're very often video games put you into a difficult situation with resource constraints or time constraints or whatever and the the gamer mindset is to you know especially if it's something that involves long-term planning and resources or whatever is to figure out whatever it may be that the correct tech tree to go down which resource to hoard how to min max your stats like in these in gaming situations you learn this by trial and error by saying well uh i have a shoot the moon strategy where i will mine a huge amount of this resource because right before i starve to death i will be able to do this key thing that will ripple outward and cause me an enormous victory and you try it and you just starve to death and you like learn okay maybe that strategy doesn't work or maybe i didn't do it right and you get to try over and over and over again in life you don't you don't get that chance especially in life or death situations unless you have been in this situation 50 times before if you've been stranded on an island, on an island 50 times before you will be much more comfortable about choosing the options and suddenly if you're on an island you know stranded in a gilligan's island situation and you've been stranded on 50 islands before it's not as if oh i have to pick from all these bad choices because you know that a certain number of them are actually not bad in fact you know kind of know what the likely answers are going to be and even though those are the same options for the person who's never been there before like the shipping lane one maybe it turns out that that is one of the winners and then the other ones of like signal fire or whatever turn out to be terrible or vice versa or whatever but because you know from based on experience Suddenly, you you feel like I'm not choosing among the least bad options. I, in fact, I have three pretty good options to choose among, and they're the same three options that the person with no knowledge thinks I'm choosing among three bad options because they're like all of them seem like they could end really badly. But because mm. of your past experience, you know some of them are good. And so I really feel like this entire thing is a way, a different way to view things based on premises that you don't want to revisit that you're just going to jump right past them and say i have all these bad things and i have to find the second worst or third worst choice or whatever and really you're just uh, responding to a lack of information experience or you know a a high level of uncertainty i guess without getting too much into the political um i guess one reason i think it's intriguing though whether you not whether or how you think he's being ingenuous or not um i am very interested though in the idea that let's say you are going to follow the monkey god in this case there's something uh, easier about the monkey god path in many ways, right? There's less there's less immediate risk, it feels like. And it might be something that you really believe in. Um, you know, for, for people who are ardent supporters of what they perceive to be the message of the Republican candidate, um, who interpret in- events in the world to fit this certain frame of reference— you know, as we've seen, as we maybe talked about earlier, the more new information comes in, the more hardened they become in their positions, for example. And I guess I'm just really, I'm really intrigued in the idea of somebody, um, PGO worker otherwise, going, you know, I just, I can't do this. I, I can't do this way. I, I would like to go the route of the monkey god, but I don't, I, I have to be honest with myself that this is farcical. It is fantastical. And even if this succeeded, which it probably won't, the results would be disastrous. I'm just very interested in somebody who would, in a moment of stress like that, be able to 
look at it in that cold-eyed way and to be able to see past the, the facts in the world that comport with how they see the world to take a gamble on something that they really disagree with because it might be the thing that helps them survive. I feel like it's a low low bar in the monkey god situation and the Trump situation. I just week. made it up. <laughs> I know, I know, but like, but like, giving them the a monkey, cookie, giving them a cookie. Like the, the thing that annoys me is like, oh, okay, <laughs> because especially if they're like, if they're not, if they don't really buy into all that BS, if they don't really buy into the monkey god stuff, you know, they don't. It's just entirely made up on the spot. It's not difficult. It's not like you you don't get a prize for figuring out that the monkey god guy is just dehydrated and going insane, <laughs> right? And right? Like. Right. And, and then and then so say say you did do this and say normally I would go with the monkey god guy because he's my best friend. But I see that he's dehydrated from drinking seawater and he's gone <laughs> mad. Uh, I'm not going to go with him. But let me just tell you all the bad things about the shipping lane guy. He is uh, all full of lies and empty promises and he's wrong about absolutely everything. He could have fixed this but, 30 years but ago. But he's but he's wrong within normal parameters. Like if you find yourself being compelled to slam the shipping lane guy it shows that you're still like you have too much of your your identity tied up in whatever deal with the monkey god guys. Like you're, it's not a health. You're not looking at. You're still trying. You're still talking to yourself. You're still talking to yourself about yourself to convince yourself of something. Only it's coming out to the external world and making you look like a doof because your name is PJ O'Rourke. Okay, how would you get off the island? Don't get on the island. Step zero. Oh. Step, step zero. Do not go on a boat or a plane that goes over or near a deserted <laughs> island in the Pacific. Simple risk management. The odds of you being stranded on an island if you never go on a boat or a plane that goes near an island are much, much smaller than if you do. You pop the stack. That's one of those great things about, uh, about like the whole air travel is super safe and blah, blah, blah. You're uh, like, or, you know, the odds of doing whatever, like the odds of being struck by lightning. But you're like, safer in a plane than you are in your own bathroom. Right, right, right. So this, all this is true. But the, 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 you know, one of the things about statistics that people kind of understand, but like they'll use the wrong reassurances is like you are an individual. You are not betting on like, say I pick a random individual in the entire world. And then I say about that random individual, uh, would you like to place money on them being hit by lightning? And then you try to have the odds of like, you know, we'll give you odds on that thing happening. And what are the odds of blah, blah, blah. Like, it, like you'd say, what are the odds of a randomly selected individual being hit by a, a bolt of lightning? And you can come up with a number and say, it's pretty unlikely. It's not a thing that happens all the time. In fact, we use it as a common expression of thing that is very rare, right? right. That's, that's statistics. That's probabilities. That's, you know, given a person in the entire world. And what are the odds? If you are on a golf course, in a thunderstorm, in the middle of your swing, and we were to tell you, what with do you metal, think your with odds, metal shoes, what metal do you shoes. think your odds, specifically you, person, in a thunderstorm, on a golf course, swinging a golf club that's made of metal, not carbon fiber, what are your odds of being struck by lightning? Not what are one's odds of being struck by lightning, not what are the odds of a randomly selected individual being struck by lightning, but what are your specific odds? Your odds are suddenly much greater then your conception of what the odds of being struck by lightning are, because you're not, I'm sure there, someone who knows probability knows the exact terminology and idea behind this very simple concept that I'm expressing, but you, you only care about your specific odds, not about the aggregate probabilities of the entire world. So my odds of getting stranded on a desert island, if I stay in the center of the United States for my entire life, they're not zero because someone could drug me and drop me on an island, but they're much, much lower than if I go on a plane or a boat over an island so let's just stay off the golf courses too while we're at it 
yeah, like stay off the golf courses during thunderstorms, you will vastly decrease your specific odds of being struck by lightning versus if you didn't do that. I agree. Stay on the road, out of the moors. <laughs> Was that uh, uh, American Werewolf in London? Dum, 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 dum. Yep. Right. I love that movie. I can't believe that I movie, that. Now, that movie, the gore of that movie, I thought was very well done. Remember, like, his, 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 like his neck was flapping yeah, around? Yeah, but, he, but he's, like, talking. To his oh, my God. In the movie theater? <gasps> oh, I didn't see so it in the theater. I, I saw it on TV. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, but he meets him. Remember, he meets oh, yeah, him yeah, in the yeah, theater? Yeah. yeah. I'll never forget the flapping. <laughs> he, I mostly remember the puffy vests, the wet puffy vests, like totally. the sort of 80s. And that poster of, I don't have it in front of me, I'm not even going to look it up, the poster of them, and they're walking, I think, left to right, and, like, looking over their shoulder, kind of, like, looking behind them. That was a good movie. I think and the only the time, reason I, I enjoyed that is because I don't like scary movies, but that movie was not so much about, like, it's going to be scary. It had that sort of, you know, winking, knowing, kind of yeah, horror, comedy, fun type of thing, and then I was able to get past all the, you know... Was that John Landis? Kind of it must have been John Landis. Yeah, probably. I think I'm trying to remember the type in the... Um, I You know what was weird in that, though? Well, it doesn't matter. But it's kind of funny, because we knew him as the Dr. Pepper guy, and then he was the guy from, um, not breaking away. He was from that disco TV show. Remember that? He was on a disco TV show for a while. Making it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm making it. I got looks, I got brains, and I'm breaking these chains. What disco TV show do you think he was from? Making it. M A K I N it. Got nothing. That's like oh, when yeah. you hear about, uh, whatever is it, uh, Roderick's, uh, department store or drugstore chain what was that called yeah yeah he always brings it up and i never remember what it is it's Bar- bartels bartels it sounds like something from a stephen king novel that's made up <laughs> bartels <laughs> it's like yeah, one of those regional things you know and you live in another part of the country and you know everything is named something different and yeah i mean these days it's, it's decreasing because like things like walgreens or whatever have taken over the oh world yeah before. but it used to be when we were kids so many more things were regional you just move like one state over and everything would change. Your supermarket would change, your drugstore would change, your gas station would change, and now it's, you know, the sameness is the sameness is spreading. The show was set in Passaic, New Jersey, and was about the daily life of Billy Minucci, a young man who frequented the local disco club Inferno at night. <laughs> it's not uh, staying alive at all. No, no. Very very dissimilar. He's an uh, Italian, while, while working- but he's from New Jersey. It was uh staying alive, uh not staying alive, Saturday Night Fever. He yeah. did he live in New Jersey? He's in Brooklyn. Yeah. No, no, see, but he doesn't work at a paint store. He works at an ice cream parlor called Tasty Treats. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's the perfect thing. It's like, okay, well, Saturday Night Fever can get New York. With the TV (laughs) show, you live in New Jersey. (laughs) The show, oh my God. The show was on, it was (laughs) February 1st, 1979. Not a great time to launch a TV show about disco. February 1st, (laughs) 1979 to March 23rd, 1979. Well, no, wait, I, I can't believe I missed it. How did yeah. I miss that? It just went by like that, making it. Why did you? Why did you see it? And why do you remember it? This is the important thing. February to March of nineteen seventy nine. That would put me in sixth grade. Disco will never die. You said in sixth grade. Yeah. No, I did. I said that. I would say it all the time. Mm. I enjoyed disco. I, I enjoyed disco. In your bell bottom pants. Mm, not really. Not really. I had I had some Kiana shirts. Those like fake silky shirts. 
I know you had those. You had to have had those. I don't those. think I had ever had anything fashionable. Same like long sleeve rugby I, shirt. They're hard to find because you got long arms. You get the same ones you're wearing in sixth grade. You I, still got I them. I think I had uh, bell bottom corduroys. Nice. That's a smart look. Well, well before sixth grade though. I love corduroys. Um, so we could talk about that one thing, or we could talk about something else. We probably have just we probably have time to talk about the one thing. Do you want to talk about the one thing? The TV show. Yeah. We're gonna, people are going to people are going to get mad. I know. I think I think this is the appropriate placement. Is okay. the end of the show? If you don't care, then you can listen. If you do care, then this is the last thing we will talk about. So we should like sign off. Yes. To the and we'll, let's who, give people a little bit of warning. John and I are now going to discuss the season premiere episode seven, season seven, season seven, episode one of the. I think it's season seven, season seven, episode one of The Walking Dead, which premiered this. Sunday night on AMC, and this is your warning that we're going to start. So if you don't want to hear about The Walking Dead, which I totally understand, or uh, you're avoiding spoilers, please, uh, we'll see you next time on Reconcilable Differences. Oh, and my little preface is, I think The Walking Dead is a good TV show. And if you have never watched it before, uh, yes, we hearing it, this. and you're like, well, I don't care about spoilers. I don't even watch The Walking Dead. I would recommend to you that you might like The Walking Dead, and if you continue to listen to this show, you will learn things that will spoil the previous six seasons. And, 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 here's, and here's the thing, because uh, uh, I think before John says it, says it I, before you says it, I will be the one who says it. I'm going to say do this. Go back, and if you do nothing else, do yourself a service and watch the first episode of The Walking Dead, because it's really, really good. And even just as an example of like how to start a TV series, it's very, very well done. Yeah, and there's, there's some lot. There's a lot of good TV in those seasons, and maybe you're just never going to watch a zombie show. There is, but a lot of times people just haven't gotten to it yet, and I feel yeah. bad for those people going. Uh, I always figured, you know, maybe I'll ever get around to it. I'll just listen to this podcast, and then we'll then we'll spoil season seven for you, and then it will be it will lessen your experience of ever going back. You know, one day maybe you'll when when the super flu hits and kills everyone on Earth, and you'll have lots of time to watch TV because everyone right. else is dead. You'd be like, now I can finally watch Walking Dead. Oh, but I listened to that podcast and it spoiled season seven, so I kind of know who's going to live and who's going to die. That's the worst. So yeah, um, I yeah, and that's actually one thing I wanted to say. Who was it who jumped in? Dave Rutledge was it? Maybe jumped into that thread that I was involved in, saying, "Wow, wow, there's this show I've heard about, and now I guess I'm glad I never watched it." And I was like, "Well, no." Au contraire, um, the reason I'm, I'm making all these eye-rolly things and, and retching is because I actually have, if you go back a few episodes, I was very annoyingly like over the moon about this show and had, uh, I don't want to say I'm disappointed. It's, it's, my feelings about this are at once incredibly simple and, and weirdly complex. But I will just say, before we move on to discussion of this, uh, it's not for everybody, but it is, as John says, it is a very, very good show. And in no way am I saying don't watch it because of how I feel about this episode. Insert spoiler dong here. Spoiler dong. Accidental. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Harry's, makers of terrific razors at great prices. You can learn more about Harry's right now by visiting harrys.com. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. And boy, do they ever make razors and blades. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their shaving products that they are now offering a chance for you to try them for free. Free. Their amazing free trial set, which comes with a razor, 
five-blade cartridge, and a shaving gel, and it's free when you sign up for Harry's Shave Plan. All you need to do is pay $3 for shipping. Boom. Razor magic. Harry's have new, amazing five-blade razors, five blades that include a softer flex hinge for a more comfortable glide. They have a trimmer blade for hard-to-reach places, like my soul, a lubricating strip, and a textured razor handle for more control when your hands are wet. Most companies will charge you more when they upgrade the quality of their razors. Nuh-uh. Mm-mm. Harry's doesn't. Their prices stay the same, even though their products just keep getting better. Harry's believes so much in the quality of their razors that they guarantee the quality. They'll give you a full refund if you are not happy. Harry's new razors offer an even higher quality shave at about half the price of the other big branded blades. This is absolutely true. because I can tell you, I'm a very happy Harry's user. I am a reformed buyer of blades that used to cost about twice as much. Not anymore. Harry's, they make my razor of choice. I buy them with my own actual money. Yes, they send me free things sometimes, but no, this happens all the time. I go out, I, I love these blades. I love the quality and the prices, but I also love how convenient it is. I just mash on a few buttons on my computer machine, and then magically, boxes of blades just show up on my doorstep. They're just there. You gotta help. You gotta try these folks out. They're the best. You go to harrys.com right now. Enter the offer code DIFFS, that's D-I-F-F-S, at checkout, and you will claim your free trial set. Because you're a listener to the show, you'll also get a bonus post-shave balm. That's a bonus post-shave balm added to your order for free. All you got to pay is the shipping. Boom. That's harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, code DIFFS, D-I-F-F-S. Get your free trial set. And, you know, join me. Join me in this new new world of shaving. You won't look back. I promise you. Try it. Harrys.com. Our thanks to Harry's for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. So, they left us at the end of last season. Do you have any opening remarks? Uh, I think we talked about it at the end of last season. The idea of a cliffhanger of like, oh, there's this silly thing that's going to happen where some bad guy is going to pick one of our heroes to kill, but we're not going to tell you who it is until next season. I'm mostly okay with that. Um, Because whatever, it's a cliffhanger. And I I felt like that last season came to a logical, as I said in the the show when we talked about it, came to a fairly logical conclusion this what was happening is what should have happened our heroes got themselves into this fix a series of unfortunate circumstances of trying to get maggie to the doctor and them all going together and doing some foolish things in the grand tradition of the show but in general them not them uh, them underestimating the threat finds himself in this difficult situation and one of them's gonna you know get it or whatever according to the big baddie and season break i'm mostly okay with that we wait a long time the season starts that's the context for Let's now watch the first episode of season seven or whatever it is to find out which one of our heroes gets it. I think one of the most controversial things about that ending was a lot of people really game to say, okay, let's move on to the next chapter of this. Like, whatever the next thing is, we've been hearing about Negan, let's get this sorted. So, obviously, one of our friends, we figure one of our friends is going to die. But I, I think, in some ways, it was a funny harbinger of what drove me crazy about this episode, which is that when this – it was clear, because it's a POV shot of a person who's just been hit with a baseball bat with barbed wire on it, trigger warnings for everything here. Um, and you see them sort of passing. You see that they're kind of passing out. You see the blood dripping down what the lens, which is kind of their face, and it just keeps going. And it's really brutal, and you can hear people's reaction to it, and the volume is getting muffled. And then eventually they fade to black and we don't find out who it was, which I think is what drove a lot of people crazy was that there was, everybody knows it's Glenn in the comic, 
right? I didn't know that. Just well, okay. throwing that out there. Okay, okay, but you know, anyway, even people who haven't read the comic who have read about it was like, oh, is it is it Glenn? But you know, they deliberately, for their own reasons, obfuscated what that was, and I think that drove a lot of people a little bit crazy. As with this episode, I was more put off by. I know you're going to yell at me about this. I was more put off by the grisliness of it. I was put off by the grisliness of it as against how much it was advancing the story, which I felt like the the balance was not there for that episode after all the blah, blah. And you can go back and listen to the episode where we talked about this. But I felt that in spades for this one. Well, so the the first part of, like, we wait. There's a season break. We're going to find out who it is. Me, I was avoiding spoilers. I have not read the comic. I did not read websites to tell you who is or isn't cast for the next season and so on and so forth. Like, I, I avoided all of that. So for the most part, I didn't know who I didn't know who it was in the comic. I did, unfortunately, know that some people had suggested that it was Glenn. I didn't know it was because it was in the comic, but I had just heard that through, you know, I can only avoid spoilers so much. But if you wait an entire season break and they start that episode right at that scene, like when last we left, this guy was walking around with a baseball bat. Here he is. We're picking up right where we left off. And you spend whatever it is, 20 minutes of the show trying to tease out that reveal. I don't think that is a good use of your time because you just used the whole season break to do that. That was the time where you're like, I wonder who it's going to be. Like, it was many weeks and months. Don't waste the first 20 minutes of your thing teasing that because you already did that trick. You're not adding anything new to it by withholding that information for the episode. And I kind of understand, like, it's like, I don't think that's a bad thing to do. If If that had been an episode break end of end of one episode and it's like i'm gonna pick one of you and then next week you tune in and they do it for 20 minutes i'm okay with that because that's your your you know you're playing with that gap there a week and 20 minutes but a season break in 20 minutes is uh, it's it's doing the same thing twice it's not you're not gaining anything by it so i found that and it's teasing it kept it kept teasing it kept teasing in these little flashes of black and white flashbacks of what rick was remembering about each of those people it felt a little it felt a little bit like something from like the 1970s it felt almost like a who shot jr thing where they're going to drag out you know whether it was colonel mustard with the candlestick yeah the the one thing i thought about was that at a certain point uh rick is imagining what might happen if he doesn't you know do what negan tells him to do that they would go back and he would He's imagining the others bash yeah. all their friends. And what I thought of, which is a bad thing for me to think of, because it shows I'm kind of being taken out of this this show by myself or by the, the, the choices. They had to film and they had to film each of those people, a reaction shot of them getting hit with a baseball bat, yeah. which presumably they all filmed, filmed all that season. So maybe part of that is getting the actors to not know. Right, getting the actress to not know, getting the crew to not know, and maybe they all know anyway, but like plausible deniability. Hey, we filmed a death shot of every single person, which is a good sort of way to try to obscure the truth, which is kind of silly, especially in a show based on a comic book that apparently everybody but me has read and knows what happens in the comic book and so on and so forth. But that's what I was thinking. But like that type of scene of like him imagining all of his friends dying, I think is a is a fine thing to do. But it got all wrapped up in, he's not, you're not just watching Rich, Rick imagine, like, visually, like, visualize the consequences of his inaction, right? We're still also doing that thing where you as the viewer don't know. And so we're throwing this all out there to make it think when the first one comes, is that who's who got it? Oh, wait, no, here's a second. Here's a third. Oh, it's just him imagining. Like, 
there's that metagame that's still going on, and it ruins what could be a good scene of, of Rick learning, uh, Rick, you know, considering his options. Instead, it's still totally like, we're toying with the audience. Do you see how we're toying with you? No, it's it's cute. They're, they're trying to be cute. Do you see how we're, we we fooled you into thinking this, but actually it's not that? Like, you're, it's, I, I don't, I don't like that level of, of storytelling. So that, of all the things in, the, in this episode, that bothered me the most, the long tease and the fact that it was taking me out of the episode to remind me that there are some pieces of information that they're withholding. And I don't, and again, I don't begrudge withholding. That's going to be a good episode structure where something happens in the beginning. That's a very, you know, well-used episode structure. Something happens in the beginning and it's slowly revealed in bits and pieces. And I think, honestly, here's the thing that kills me. They did a pretty good job of it. The way it connects up with was my joke so bad from the beginning to the end, right? I think this was a well-executed implementation of that idea. It was just the wrong time to deploy that idea. Mm-hmm. Now, for the second part you said, the main thing that makes people, like a lot of my wife uh, and many other people on Twitter have said, like, that's it, I'm not watching the show anymore, I'm out, I can't take it, it was too grim, it's too gross, it's too this, like, they dwelled too much on the violence, and so on and so forth. I totally see where those people are coming from. I see also where the people are coming from who don't watch the show at all, because it's just not, like... The same way I, don't watch I, I, I couldn't watch. I just I couldn't watch it uh, for a long time. Right. Like I totally see that. Like that's and these, and then like you've said before. I think to paraphrase you um, when I would talk about how gross it is the way they're, when they're killing, like especially during like the prison era, there's a lot of Walker killing going on, and it gets the effects get better and better. And it sounds like your contention was, well, these aren't these are not people, right? It doesn't bother you as much. And and, and honestly, like you get desensitized to it because it's like it's the same stuff all the time, and it's it's so disconnected from reality where everyone's skull is is the consistency of paper mache paper mache filled with jello. <laughs> right it's just mm-hmm. it's almost it, it's it's like it's so disconnected and so like over the top that uh, i'm watching it's for me personally what it's the same way people probably who watch horror movies get desensitized to the gore it's just a different level of gore i'm like i was able to get comfortable with it because it seems so fake and silly and fantastical but other people aren't and that's that's fine too and this specific episode like why why is this the one that put people over the top because the people who are watching this far obviously are not the people who are like i i don't like zombie shows they're too gross which again totally understandable makes right makes perfect sense but these are people who have been watching the show who haven't been like watching the show through gritted teeth and closing their eyes but somehow this episode was different to them and it made them say why are we even watching this show anymore it is not fun to watch anymore like there is like why are we doing this it's you know like there's no one paying me to watch the show and i'm not enjoying watching the show so why am i watching the show is it just a habit because i watched and enjoyed previous seasons and now i'm just not enjoying it and i understand that sentiment as well i think i mean they're not miscategorizing it because that what they're basically saying is watching the show not feel good therefore not watch show like there's no real arguing with that Right? Yeah. No, no, I, I, I know. And I have trouble putting my finger on exactly what it is that will not sound like the most obvious thing in the world. But I think it's you, when you watch a show like this, part of it is the same reason a lot of us started watching slasher movies uh, when we were younger is that it is partly a way to prove to yourself that you can do it, that you can do this and not be scared, or you can put up with this level of craven violence in these horrible movies. Um, I don't have any single one thing except that um, it was really uh, the Abraham one and the Glenn one were almost scarringly graphic to me. Um, 
and uh, and I think second, it's characters we know and like, especially in the case of Glenn. It's somebody who used, like you said, he's been the survivor since the beginning. These are separate things, but I, I'm trying to I'm trying to make a little sadness stew out of all these different parts. There is the extreme graphicness. There is the fact that these are our pals. There is, but then I think there's the other part of this. The the part that I mean, obviously, it is kind of the graphicness that made us turn to each other and just go, uh, "I need a break from this." But it was also that it felt like shitty storytelling. If it, it really it really felt like what they it did feel like uh porn, like torture porn in the sense that I did not feel like I was I didn't feel the zing and thrill of the story moving in a way that makes those other things. I'm not even talking about when they win. I'm talking about when they lose too. I'm talking about some of the like the very 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 sad sad things that happen on that show. Um something horrible happens to somebody and then you see you see that reflected in the eyes of the others. But I feel like with – I don't have anything to support this. But I feel like there have not been that many times where I said, okay, that was too much for too long. And it's just that in this case, the scales were way tipped to where I found myself kind of feeling emotionally naked about how gross it was to watch this level of violence without any advancement in what the story was actually happening to where it really squicked me out. So I'm not going to defend the show – but, but I, I, I'm, I try- I'm not. I'm, I don't. I don't really have that much personal skin in the game, except in as much as I've really been looking forward to this. I really like it, and it just made me sad while I was watching it in a way that the show usually doesn't. It was a different feeling in this episode. Well, it, it, rather than defending, which is not what I'm doing, I'm going to try to explain why I wasn't. I didn't have the same reaction as everyone else. Like I'm going to continue watching the show. Yeah, I, but but I can relate to what they're saying. But like here's here's what my feelings were about the episode again other than the tease which i think was a bad idea and also by the way before i get on to the the things that that i felt differently than other people about the show i agree with most people so far that negan while the actor is really good and it Mm -hmm. is kind of interesting seems we we've only seen him on screen for one episode and a little bit of change right and so he has not yet had enough time to develop into a two or three dimensional character at this point right like the governor one, he, you got the governor with the daughter like with with so many of the the baddies they've got their reasons right we just don't know his yet because like i mean you need the governor we had like a whole season to see yeah. him before he started cutting daddy's heads off and stuff told you there'd be spoilers uh, like like we there's not enough to know here so the, the villain the, like saying oh the villain is one dimensional right now the answer is yes he is whether he stays that way i don't know I, I think the actor was uh, substantially creepy and everything like so I have some hope for that but but that he's, he's really good the but there's there's nothing but there's also there's there's very the the it, and it's not I'm not even saying you can't have I'm sorry I interrupted you I'm not even saying you can't have a one dimensional villain there's some really good one dimensional villains I prefer a more fleshed out villain it's just that the writing on this particular one dimensional villain is is first draft of a script level. Uh, character. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, at least we haven't seen much uh, of him yeah. yet. Right. But anyway, let me, let me continue. So here's here's what I think the episode set out to do and did successfully. The this has been a show. Walking Dead's been on for a long time. Whatever this is, six seven seasons. Yeah. Um, and all the people in the show have had bad things happen to them, and we've all had our ups and downs in the group. 
Uh, we talked in, in past podcasts about them all having their heads over the little bathtub thing while the guy goes by and slits their throats and lets their blood drain out in the cannibal right. place. Like there have been some pretty low moments on this show, uh, and some times when you know even just at the end of like season two or whatever, where when the the farmhouse gets overrun and they're all in the running, yeah. like there's ups and downs. That's how this show works. The problem with a long running show like this is. And I saw this last season and even the season before that people would say, oh, it's always the same thing. They go and do stuff. Someone you care about does something stupid. They die. There's, you know, that little up and down arc of like their incredible peril. Oh, they seem to have their act together and they're getting worked out. Oh, another incredible peril again. Oh, they seem to have, oh, there's a big existential spread. And like they get tired of that roller coaster ride. They say, I'm not watching The Walking Dead anymore. It's too much sameness. And that is the challenge that this long running show has to do. Like, if you're not going to progress world story wise, uh, like, for example, like uh, the 100, which avoids this problem by in three episodes blowing through more development of the world environment than The Walking Dead has in seven seasons by saying you were worried about finding food. Well, guess what? We're not worried about that anymore. You worried about this. Well, guess what? Like the 100 is just off to the races. But The Walking Dead has been in that up sameness roller coaster. So. With that challenge presented, I think what they were trying to do and successfully did in this beginning of season seven is we have to bring the entire group, but specifically Rick, who is our proxy for for the group. We have to break Rick and the group. And yes, they've been in bad situations before, and Rick has gotten angry and lashed out and done bad things and been, you know, mourning for his wife and his baby when he thought his baby was dead and all sorts of, like, he's been low before, but never has his spirit been broken to the degree that it was in this episode. That they, right. Like, this is the, where can you go from this roller coaster? You, one place you could go is they really do start to fortify things and it starts becoming a more conventional show because there's no, you know, you're not as low as you used to be. Like we start rebuilding society and then it becomes a show about rebuilding society. Didn't go in that direction. They went the other direction, which is despite all these ups and downs, maybe you've forgotten, like Rick can be broken. What would it take to break him? What would that look like? And over the course of this episode, the entire power play of Negan, the little we know of him as a character, and I think we discussed this last time we talked about why is he doing the things that he's doing is his system seems to be don't just kill everybody instead to get them to work for you but anybody who's still alive at this point has to be pretty spirited so the trick is how do you get the people to work for you how do you know which ones to kill which ones to leave alive you, you made this case and I'll, I'll link to this episode where we talked about this but I, I i'm persuaded by what you said i think you made a very good case for the fact that he's, he's not there to just cruelly kill everybody he's there to get people's mind right about working on his team yeah, and, and he's also you know nuts and cruel like i mean again we don't know enough about the character i can't really pin him down but the, the whole the whole idea like both from the show perspective the thing we haven't seen before is, you know, really break Rick's spirit and bring everything down as low as it can go to remind us, like, oh, you thought, because that's another problem they have. Like, oh, the heroes are always safe. Every once in a while will kill a minor character, but in general, the heroes are safe. I think we were all feeling that way. And this show was, this episode was relentless in tearing both us, the audience, and the characters in the show, and Rick specifically, down, 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 down. Because, especially in the beginning, Rick is in that old mode of, like, you've done a terrible thing, but I'm going to kill you. How many times have we seen that, but I'm going to get you eventually, right? I'm going to kill you. Right. It's like, it's like no, 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 no. That's normally what happens. And normally, eventually, Rick does kill them because these guys are tough and they're survivors and so on and so forth. Negan doesn't leave it at that. He has to bring everything down, down, down. At the point where he's got Carl's arm out, I had yeah. some vague notion 
that in the comic books, either Carl or Rick are missing limbs. I think, I, I'm pretty sure Rick, yeah. And I was like, oh, well, maybe this is a catching up to the comic book and they're going to do it. I totally believe they were going to do it. In the same way, what were we discussing about this? The, oh, in Toy Story 3, totally believing that they could conceivably go into the incinerator. I totally believe that he was going to cut Carl's arm off. Like, because that uh-huh. seemed a natural consequence. We, that, you know, when I think about the feelings of watching this episode, with Rick being broken down and the audience being broken down to say, you don't realize how bad things can get. All right. That's not a good feeling and not a feeling people like to have when they have a show. But I think that's what the show, the episode set out to do. And I can uh-huh. understand it being repellent and repulsive to people, making them not want to watch the show. But it just seems so clear to me that that's what the episode was trying to do. And on that level, I have a grudging amount of respect for what I feel like was an episode that took people's hopes and dreams and destroyed them and brought them low in the way that Rick was brought low. And it, and that is an uncomfortable feeling. And it, it, can, it makes people say, I don't want to watch the show anymore because the show made me feel bad. And again, it makes total sense, right? Yeah. Um, if I think the reason it didn't bother me as much as one, I have some amount of respect for that type of thing. It's like, oh, well, what if we just do torture porn? Doesn't it, like, bring you low or whatever? Like, I feel like this was was better than that. Mostly, probably because, also, I'm not as bothered by the silly, like, blood and gore or whatever. Like, for whatever reason on this show, that doesn't bother me that much. That's so interesting to me. I think it is... I, I also think it's important to actually show what they showed. Like, to not to not turn away from it, to not be like, just see the bat swinging, and then off screen you hear a sound, and then a flump, like... I think it's important to show that because that's part of that's part of making you and Rick and everyone else face the situation they find themselves in. That so they we need really we have. need to be we need to be brought down as low as Rick right. is being brought down, right? Because that's that's the place we haven't been brought before in seven seasons. That's the place we've forgotten mm-hmm. about. Maybe in the very beginning we thought we were super desperate. We're still like, isn't this a fun adventure? He's on a horse going into Atlanta or whatever. It's like the one place you can go that you haven't gone before is here, and it's way way down. And so. While I agree that the show is repellent, uh, like and makes you feel bad, I think a lot of a lot of people are deciding that that bad feeling is it's not worth watching. If the show is ever going to make me feel that, that bad, it's not worth it. Which again, I'm totally on board with. But as someone who enjoys end of the world stories and generally <laughs> tragedies and things where like leftovers are crying out loud, which again is a different yeah. class of thing, but it is a relentlessly grim and depressing show more of on a psychological emotional level than on a visceral like all your friends are dying level um but i'm mostly on board with that and most of the bad feelings i had about that episode i'm like it just it seemed like this is that they did a they engendered emotions with the piece of art that they made and i think they engendered the emotions they were trying to to transfer like it's not it wasn't an accident so it was i mean it was it way. i'm jumping ahead here do, do you think it was successful by and large again other than the, the beginning tease stuff and that business i think this episode did a good job accomplishing what it set out to do it's just that most people don't like <laughs> what it set out to do and i don't yeah. really blame them for that but for me personally like i wouldn't watch a show where every episode was like this let me just say that i would not watch a show if every episode was like this i think that this episode is the pulling way down for the long crawl up. And by the way, again, knowing nothing about the comic books, I think they could take two episodes, two seasons to dig out of this pit. Like, in other words, I don't expect at the end of the season, Rick to be triumphantly killing Negan. That's the obvious way that it's going to end. Right. But I can imagine a two episode, a two season arc where 
he only gets back to being a functioning human being by the end of this season. And then by the end of the next season, assuming the show is renewed, I don't know what the, the contract is, then it's Negan's come up and so he escapes or runs away or whatever. But I, would, again, I wouldn't watch a whole season of episodes like this, but as a way to kick off, kick off a season seven that tries to get out of the roller coaster rut, uh, aside from the, the ill-advised beginning and the potential for this to be a one-dimensional a villain, I... I didn't. Uh, I'm not stopping watching the show because of of this thing. I feel like it it did what it set out to do, and I'm I am accepting of that with the expectation that the rest of the show will not be the same. There's a part of me also thinking like um, the kind of natural the natural next step is to wonder. Okay, so what's the play here? Like, what is it? You know, when we talk about one or two uh, season arc of what this becomes. And I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I guess I just feel like it's – you're right. If it represents a big break from the – as you put it, the roller coaster of how they've been doing it before, yeah, it could be really interesting. I'm just I, – I hope it's not just a big uh, The Great Escape kind of movie. I hope it's not just mm. all a lead-up to a revenge scenario. I bet it's going to be about fra- – it's going to be about factions – and fracturing. I think it's. I mean, I assume it's going to be about uh, Rick rebuilding himself as a person, because he's it's broken down at this point. I really hope in the next episode he hasn't just bounced back and like is back to oh, his yeah, leader no. self. I, and like, I feel like you, you're going to take a long time for the, everyone in the group to come back from this. Now, this about the specific people they killed off in this thing. I think Abraham. They had messed up his character at the end of the last season. He was becoming not particularly interesting, and they were having him do silly things. And it's almost as if him getting him getting off as a misdirect here is like they're covering over like they weren't that character wasn't working. They didn't have any place interesting to go with him after they got to Alexandria and where they were going with him was just not making any sense. And so right. in some senses, from a narrative perspective, that's a mercy killing. Glenn was my favorite character on the whole show. But where did they, they picked him up at the um, at the the place with the uh, throat cutting, right? That's where they first connected up with him. Uh, I forget. He was he was with the fake. Wasn't scientist. he in the train car? He was in the train car. He was guarding the fake scientist guy. Oh, Eugene, right? Right. So it was him, Eugene, and the the girl, and they were going around. Anyway, like I'm. That's not that I'm saying like I'm glad he's out of the show, but like they had messed up that character. But like I said, Glenn is my favorite character in the whole show. I'm very sad to see him go. I'm assuming it is. Well, maybe it's because it's in the comic book, but I'm like, well, maybe he got on a different show, like actor-wise or whatever. But he was by far my favorite character in the show. And so oh. I'm sad that he's gone. But, again, if you're going to ha- kick this group out of its rut, I think Glenn being offed in this is actually more substantial than Rick being offed. Because if you were to kill Rick off, like, because we've so identified with Rick as the leader of this group... To crush the group, you have to see Rick crush. To, to actually kill him, you don't get to see him crush. He just goes away. He gets to be heroic right for the end, and he dies, and then the rest of the group has to deal with his loss, which is one way you can go with the show. But but having him remain but be broken... Mm-hmm. I mean, Rick has been broken before on the show, but I feel like, again, it's, it's a matter of degree. He's He's been messed up and sort of not functioning in the correct Rick manner for several episodes of many seasons after traumatic things have happened. Um but has co- and it has often come out of it as a different person, which is part of what I enjoy the show. Like, oh, Rick is just the same. He's not. He's changed over the course of the show and gone through many cycles. But never has he been brought this low, and never has he been shown to be this powerless. Never has he believed himself to be this powerless. Always he has been dealing with a difficult situation, but 
eventually, you know, like that he is able to change his own destiny. But in this show, all of his agency and power was taken away systematically until he really believed it. Like Negan was saying, that's why I think the readings, you know, I've still seen that look in your eyes. Like, because for Negan, he's done this a million times before. And, so, yeah, and right. the audience that's sitting there has seen this a million times before. But for Rick, this is a new experience. And for the group, this is a new experience. Yeah. Should be an interesting season. But anyway, watch The Leftovers. It's a, it's a less grim show than this. <laughs> you got me into that. And I, I, I have a full-throated endorsement for The Leftovers. What will season three of The Leftovers be like? I mean, I, see, I, I have <laughs> no idea. That, But that show, I mean, I, I'm not even going to... I feel like in my closing statement, I want to say I'm not here to say... I'm quitting this show forever. I'm not really here to say that. I'm not here to say this is a bad show. I'm not here to say that you shouldn't watch this show. I wanted to just process some of my feelings about that because of how much I've been looking forward to it. Full stop. Now we're talking about a different show for a second. The Leftovers, I can give a full-throated endorsement. You had mentioned that to me, and you made it, when you initially suggested it to me, you were kind of like, I know the show's going to be really weird. It's not for everybody, but you just might like it. And I found it so thought-provoking and so strange and I thought just so well executed for how wackadoodle the the concept is. I thought it was just very, very well done. That, I, I can give that one a full-throated endorsement. I mean, I think I always give so many qualifiers because I think it's a show that most people shouldn't like. Uh, <laughs> it, it, but, but depending on if how well your neuroses align with mine, you may find it enjoyable or really find it fascinating. It's kind of the same way... Of like, if you ever tell anyone else about Schenectady, New York, right? Yeah. We both yeah. love that movie, but it's not the type of movie you'd be like, oh, this is a great movie. You got to go see it because we most, know most, most people, people don't, don't like that will movie. Will <laughs> not like that movie. And I think The Leftovers is similar. Most people probably yeah. won't like it, but for the people who do like it and it connects with you, it is this magical, weird stew. And it's such a wild card that because like the thing I love about it is like season one, I liked it, but season two, it was like, all right, now, you know, but season three could be totally different in the same as different if season three is as different from season two as season two is from season one that can be a fantastic wonderful thing or it could be terrible that's part of the adventure of that show it's like you don't know where they're going with it next and the potential for just being terrible is always there and yet somehow they're able to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat in in that show time after time and be interesting and and funny and weird and Mm -hmm. and making you keep thinking about it walking dead is much more straightforward and it's just, it's just very thought provoking. I mean, the the implications of things that happen on that show. Um, I don't know. I, I find it uh, it gets me thinking about things I don't normally think about in a way I don't usually think about them. And uh, there's not that many shows that get me thinking in a in a in a productive or weird way about uh, about the world. And the thing that, that that show has in common with with The Walking Dead is both shows. The The Leftovers is more honest about it, but both shows take real people real characters and put them into unreal fantastical situations purely because wouldn't it be fun to see what these characters would do in the situation that is totally nonsensical and ridiculous it's it's an extreme situation uh with you know prosaic people and and you know like world in an extreme situation and the extreme the extreme situation the best thing about the extreme situation in leftovers is for the most part it is not on screen. It is a premise. It is the it's past. off screen, but people don't 
part of the whole thing is it's it's not it's a MacGuffin in some ways, but it's the show is not about solving the mystery of what happened, which is you keep waiting for it to become a show about what happened, and it's not. And so part of what makes that so propulsive, I think, and I don't think this is a spoiler. Part of what makes it so pro- propulsive is that in the very first episode, you jump forward from the the incident. That might be the Avengers. But you jump forward from what happened to later to where it's not normal now, but time has passed. And whatever life goes on after this incident, we are in media res seeing how people are dealing with this new world. It isn't like they walk around going, um, you know, trying to figure out how the zombies work. This is, you know what I mean? I, I thought that was a bold choice. And I and to just drop you right in, in, into the middle of right. like, what that it's world just was all, like. It's just ripple effects. I mean, they do flash back to it occasionally, but it's just ripple effects. And the ripple effects are like, is it going to happen again? Or is it happening what, like, again? Why did it happen? Just... Who Everybody's got their own reckon on like who went and right. why. And it's just rippling, rippling out. But like, that's the, the fantastical situation people are placing in that show is dealing with a- an amazing thing that happened in the past. And in Walking Dead, it's an ongoing thing, as in, like, here is this terrible situation we're in and all the things we know. But like, but both of them are, like, the reason people watch them is not not because even in Walking Dead, like, for most people, I think, are not watching them. I think, I wonder how they're going to solve the zombie problem. At a certain point, you realize they're not going to solve the <laughs> zombie problem. There's a Paul Graham essay about yeah. that. Like, I would solve the zombie problem. And the zombie <laughs> problem would be solvable if zombies weren't magic. But guess what? Zombies are magic. And yeah, just accept yeah. it and deal with it in the same way that the premise of leftovers is essentially magic as well. And you just have to accept that. And like, if you, if you get tied up wondering, they, they always jab those people. Like in season two, they had that whole faint on the leftovers. I don't want to, we'd spoil too much leftovers. But like they think that they, the people who, the three people out there who are looking for like, oh, they're going to explain it now. And then it's like, oh, they pull their rug out from under you. No, yeah. no, it's all you gotta let go. Out. Anyway, like in the walking dead, no one is like, the, how are they going to solve the zombie problem anymore? It's just like, you accept that as the extreme situation that's going to be revealing of these characters. And that is a compelling thing. And that's why I think people like these types of shows. It's just, you know, everyone has their limits. We should warn people. There is a lot of smoking in what leftovers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, only the bad people. Hmm. Don't they know? Don't they read the health warnings? Yeah, but they were all bad. What? That was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger line. <laughs> For all the people he killed? Yeah, but they were all bad. <laughs>